G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Let me begin with a, just a little, uh, I guess, a story in a way. Last month, one of the book clubs that I'm part of was reading a novel, so just a story, you know, a fiction uh, novel by an American lady named Toni Morrison, Toni with an I. Um, you might have read some of her books. She's extraordinarily famous. She's won a Pulitzer Prize. She won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 93, I think it was. Anyway, the, the book that we read as part of this book club was her book, Home, Home. And I think it's called Home because home is exactly what it's about. So the story follows uh, a young African-American man. His name is Frank Money. Frank Money, this young African-American man. And let's just say Frank wasn't exactly the kind of bloke that you would hope that your daughter brought home, you see. Um, Frank grew up in small town America, so the story goes, and he grew up to kind of hate his hometown. I, I don't think that's putting too fine a point on it. The community grew to kind of shun him. He was labelled a bit of a lout. He hung out with some, a couple of other pretty unsavoury characters, Frank Money. Uh, Frank couldn't wait to get away from home, actually. But here's, um, here's what the novel does. You see, Frank joins the army and he has to fight in the Korean War. It's set back in the 50s. So Frank Money fought for America in the, or the UN in the Korean War. Um, and here's what it focuses on. As Frank comes back, ruined by war, mistrusted as a black man in white America. This was the 50s, so Martin Luther King Jr. and all of that was still unfolding. Returned to America, ruined by war. He'd fallen in love craving that stability, that familiarity, that, that safety of home in romantic love, but ultimately his own neediness um, shipwrecked that, foiled that, ruined that home as well. So when, climax of the novel, when he rescues his sister from near death, helps her escape from abuse barely alive, where's he going to go? Where's home? For Frank Money. And so Frank Money, his frail and broken sister literally in his arms, goes back to the only home he knows there in small town America. The town where all the old ladies knew his type, where all the respectable people looked at him funny, where they were wary of having anything to do with him. Because to Frank Money, it was still home. It may have been many things, but it was a place where he knew himself to be safe. It was a place where he was known. They knew who he was, for better and for worse. It was a place where he could be. Now, on my read of it, I, I particularly enjoyed the novel. Um, yeah, there's some harsh stuff in there, but I, I, I think it's a great novel. On my read of it, though, the novel Home is a story that reminds us in this life overly romantic ideals about what home is are a bit of a farce. It's never quite that perfect. It's never quite that ideal. The world is just more complex than that. The world is just more flawed, more chequered than that. 
And yet, do we not feel within ourselves something that beckons us to that experience of home? And it awakens that, the novel awakens that within us, um, I think, encourages us to find, even among the, the mess or the ashes or the wreckage or whatever of life, the disappointments of life, to still search for home with all that that means to us. So I think it's a beautiful novel. Here's why I mention it, folks. It's because in our spiritual lives, in our walk as Christians, you know, within our very souls, within the longings of our heart, I want to ask you this morning, have you found home in your life before God? Where lies home for you, brothers and sisters, this morning? Acts 23 and 24, as I hope we're going to see together, it tells a cautionary tale about our search for home in this world, actually. Cautionary, it warns us. But it also, it does this thing where it reaches out a hand and beckons us homewards. I think Acts 23 and 24 does both of those things together. Let's get into it, but first let's pray. Um, And as I said, keep it open on your lap if you're following along um, uh, in your Bible. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we come before you today knowing ourselves to be your children, children that you have adopted in the Lord Jesus Christ to be known, to be loved within your family, to be at home with you. We know ourselves to belong in the household of God, which isn't a building, it's not about architecture, it's not about an address, it is a spiritual family. Lord God, from your word this morning, would you reveal to us, please, the heart of this whole spiritual matter of home, Would you please reveal to us your character, who you are as our Heavenly Father more fully? Would you please unfurl before us just how to live as your children, as the people under your care, as people who bear your name and something of the family resemblance? Teach us, please, to do that together as a church, to learn to help one another in that, and we ask it in Christ's name, please. Amen. So I said... um, Acts tells a cautionary tale. I think Luke wants to warn us. Luke is the author of Acts and also the Gospel according to Luke. Uh, Luke wants to warn us. And what I'm saying is in, in three senses, I believe Luke would warn us lest we get to thinking that the world that we live in might actually be a suitable home for us spiritually. I think he wants to warn us against sliding into that. Uh, lest we get overly optimistic about this world's capacity or desire to nurture and nourish our faith as Christians, lest we get to thinking that our hearts and our hopes and our haven could ever be this world, whether it's people or it's powers, uh, those kinds of things. Could we explore those cautions together? Um, The first angle on this is the blunt realisation, and we see this in the life of Paul, don't we, that this world will be no safe place for the gospel, for its messages, even just for believers Come with me, read along with me. We'll pick it up from verse 11, actually, the verse just before uh, Marian, the bit that Marion read to us, the bit from last week. Is it fair to say that part of what makes home home is that it is a place to be vulnerable and yet safe? Now, is that what we saw in the life of Paul in his experience under the Jews and Romans? Uh, see, on the one hand, just before we read, you might think that Acts is suggesting, yeah, Under the sovereign Lord Jesus Christ, the world will be um, a safe place 
uh, to be vulnerable now for Christians. So if you take a look at this preceding verse, verse 11 of chapter 23 of Acts, we have the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, so the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord of heaven and earth, stood near Paul and said, take courage. You have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. You hear that? The Lord of all the earth, the Lord Jesus Christ tells Paul, you're going to Rome, Paul. You're going to get there. You'll be fine. You're not going to die in Jerusalem like the mob uh, was attempting to do to you just earlier in the day. In fact, right back from the start of Acts, if you think about it really, what is, what is kind of the theme verse for all of Acts? You might have it um, uh, memorised uh, uh, away there. It's such a positive, confident, you're going to make it kind of tone back there in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 where Jesus says to the apostles, you will receive power, that sounds good, power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That sounds pretty big, pretty optimistic, like maybe we'll be fine. But as we get into Acts 23 and 24 especially Luke wants us to know, don't mistake Christ's faithfulness for the world's friendliness. Don't mistake Christ's faithfulness. Oh, he is faithful and he is sovereign. Don't mistake Christ's faithfulness for the world's friendliness. And we read this marvellous little story. Even though I know the outcome, I'm on the edge of my seat all the way through this. Verse 12, the next morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. Verse 13, more than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we've taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we've killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin, that's kind of the ruling body of the Jewish people religiously, you and the Sanhedrin, petition the commander, to bring him, bring Paul before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We're ready to kill him before he gets here. But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul, and then Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander, he has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander, the centurion said, Paul, the prisoner, sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. Do you see how Luke's stringing out the story? I'm still in the edit. What's going to happen? Is he going to get the message through? Is it going to be received positively? The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside and asked, what is it you want to tell me? He said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him, don't give in to him because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him. They've taken an oath not to eat or drink until they've killed him. They're ready now, waiting for your consent to their request. The commander dismissed the young man and cautioned him, don't tell anyone that you've reported this to me and I think it's not until this verse that we realise maybe it'll work out okay verse 23 then he called two of his centurions and ordered them get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight 
But it does raise the question for us, doesn't it? Will the world out there, will the ends of the earth, will it be our home, our place of safety when we're vulnerable? Will it prove a haven when we are weak, a place of friendship in your spiritual walk, Christian? I think the message here is don't count on it. Yes, you have a sovereign Lord, but you don't have a savoury world. Don't count on it. That's Luke's lesson number one, warning number one that just bubbles up through this story as we watch Paul go through his trial process. Aspect number two, the second angle on home here. Home is a place, isn't it, that is just familiar? Is that something about your home? You think of your family home, perhaps the home you grew up in. Uh, it's just, it's familiar. It's where you're from. It's where your roots are. It's who knows you, who identifies with you. It's about being known and loved. You are one of us. You belong here and you always have and you always will. Isn't that what mum and dad's place means to many of us? And Luke, in Acts here, as the story unfolds, I think he's cautioning us. Don't think that you'll be able to find your roots ultimately in this world. And even if you do, don't think that they can't be taken away from you. Have a listen to Paul's trial here. Because Paul is at pains to say, isn't he? Felix, Governor Felix, my faith has real roots, respectable roots. Uh, Christianity has a place in this world. My faith has a pedigree. You can, it, my, my faith has a spiritual home in this world. Isn't that one way of looking at what he's saying here, say from verse 11 of chapter 24 now? Chapter 24, verse... Uh, actually, verse 10. Let's go from verse 10. When the governor, Felix, motioned for Paul to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you've been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defence. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers, that's Tertullus, the lawyer, and the, the other Jews there, my accusers didn't find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city, and they cannot prove to you the charges they're now making against me. Have a listen to this. However, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers, you see his roots showing to his claim to having real spiritual roots. I, I, I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law and that's written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men, that there'll be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Can you hear me? Felix, I'm a good Jewish man. Right, that's what, I'm standing in those roots as a Christian. Where was I? I was in Jerusalem where good Jewish men go to worship. What do I believe? Everything that's written in the law and the prophets. I'm standing in my spiritual home here. What is my hope? Well, it's the same as these guys, the resurrection. But notice how brutally the Jews then cut him loose. You hear that? Sever the roots. Claim to know nothing of this man. He shares no roots with us. So you look back up at verse 5, for instance. We have found this man to be a troublemaker. 
stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. By examining him yourself, you'll be able to learn the truth of all these charges we're bringing against him. The Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. Now, as it comes down to us today, folks, I'm left with this question. Do you crave a respectable religious pedigree in the eyes of the world? Does your faith in some measure rise and fall with the public perception of Christians in the media, perhaps, or celebrity Christians, or big-name church leaders, as they're perhaps called back from the Vatican to answer questions? Do you crave a respectable religious pedigree in the eyes of the world? Because Luke would warn us, I think, even legitimate roots can be undercut, can be denied, can be taken away or smeared or ignored. The religious establishment, now I mean in this case, even the religious establishment will not always be on the side of the Christians or of their gospel or of their Lord. The sovereign Lord Jesus will not always be welcome at the religious table. And that means neither might you in the eyes of the world around us. Now, as um, perhaps it's a little bit of an aside or at least stretching a little bit further, I actually think this, this could have, it would have really hurt for Paul, wouldn't it? The, the way in which they attack him, that loneliness and aloneness, you don't belong here, we don't recognise you as belonging amongst us. And I wonder, do you ever feel that kind of aloneness in your faith or in your life? Tim Keller reckons that this kind of... Tim Keller, he's a preacher um, in New York City um, in a wonderful Presbyterian church there. Tim Keller reckons that this kind of belonging is very, very powerful um, in our lives. He makes the point like this. He says, to be loved but not known, okay? Loved, but not known, is comforting, but superficial, he says. So you see that, where do you see that? With celebrities, loved, but not known. Nobody really knows them, it's superficial love. It's, it's, it's come and go kind of love. To be known, but not, sorry, to be loved, but not known is comforting, but superficial. To be known and not loved. Oh, I know who you are, and not loved is our greatest fear. That's why we don't tell the truth. It's why we cover things up. It's why I'm reluctant to tell you this about me. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense humbles us out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw at us. Now think about your life. If you have a best friend, a best friend, do you have a best friend? Known and loved. Or perhaps your lover, spouse, knows and loves you. If you have a mum 
or a dad knows and loves you. I think it speaks so incredibly powerfully to our hearts, doesn't it? But you see, Luke is warning us, spiritually, even your heritage can turn against you. Even your own flesh and blood, even your uh, the, those who share, who stand in the same hopes as you, um, identity as you, can turn against you. Could leave you either not known but loved, you know, superficially, doesn't feel deep, it's all shallow, or leave you known, oh, they know who you are, they know what you believe, they just don't love you. Look not to the world to be known and loved. It's not that kind of home for us spiritually, brothers and sisters. Thirdly, very quickly, third caution, third cautionary tale, third warning that I think bubbles up out of Acts 23 and 24 is that home is the place where you know everything's going to be okay, where you know everything's going to be okay. But again, I think Acts cautions us against getting too bound up with, in this case, the powers of this world as if maybe they'll provide for us that everything's going to be okay, as if they will guarantee our future. No, no, set not your hope for your spiritual future in the powers of this world. Don't we see that in the outcome of Paul's trial here? Take a look from verse 22. Answer me this, actually. Do you reckon Felix, Governor Felix, do you reckon Felix thinks Paul is guilty? Have a look, verse 22. The crowd, uh, I am in the wrong chapter, verse 22 of chapter 24. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias the commander comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. What do you reckon? I'll tell you what I reckon. I reckon that if you think someone is guilty, now think about the crimes here, if you think someone is guilty as in dangerous, prone to stir up riots, um, liable to make trouble and fights and mobs and grief for you as the one who is in control of the peace of the city, um, then number one, you don't go giving them freedoms and liberty and their friends can come and go as they please, I'd suggest to you. But number two, and this is the clincher for me, you sure don't invite your wife to be their audience. I mean, your wife, right? No, I think Felix has made up his mind about Paul's guilt or innocence. Uh, but, and yet, verse 25, the world's powers will be no home for you. Verse 25, as Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. I think Paul's just preaching to him about the gospel, isn't he? Righteousness, self-control and the judgment to come. Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave when I find it convenient, I'll send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bride. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years, there's some guarantee for your future. When two years had passed. Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant a favour to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. You see, Felix knows Paul to be an innocent man. 
Problem is, Paul knows that Felix is not. <laughs> and for that reason, Paul isn't pinning his hopes on Felix. I wonder, have you ever seen Christians who pin their hopes on politicians or the outcome of this or that piece of legislation? Uh, have you ever seen Christians look to governments as their refuge and strength, look to politicians for their prospects, their hopes? Some Christians, perhaps even today, I think I still see it today, expect people in power to assure them that everything's going to be all right. No, look not to the powers of our world, brothers and sisters, for your assurance that everything's going to be all right. But where does that leave us as Christians in this world? If we're not at home in terms of being vulnerable and yet safe, if we're not at home, uh, where does that leave us? Well, brothers and sisters, I think the wonderful message woven right through Acts 23 and 24 is this, that even in this world, in its midst, we find a home safe where you are known and loved, a home full of hope and a future in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to just show that to you now in in a few verses. It's there, isn't it, in Paul's, in Christ's assurance to Paul that we started with from the Lord Jesus where he speaks to him in the midst of all this and says, take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome, safe in Christ's hands. It's there, I think, um, in the hope that Paul pleaded with Felix to see and to share uh, for himself um, in, the, in his trial. I have the same hope in God, Paul says, I have the same hope in God as these men, that there'll be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. A home in our hope. And I think it's there in the future that Paul then goes to preach to Drusilla and to Felix. Uh, Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who, who was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control and the judgment to come. What I'm saying here is this, if you feel a certain homelessness in this world or that you feel the hostility of the world um, to your faith, that your faith, your spiritual walk with the Lord isn't at home with the Lord, uh, sorry, isn't at home in the world, is at home with the Lord. If you long for a spiritual home, crave a haven in which you can be known and loved. And if you felt that within yourself the world's offer of a home is flawed or it's fleeting or it has failed you, time and time again, then let me say, yes, you will not find a home in this world for your soul, but you will find it in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our home in this life is the hope that we have by faith in Christ. In Christ's hands, we know where we're going. We share that hope of the resurrection uh, that he has for us. We offer a home for the homeless or havenless in our world. We offer a hope that reaches us even here and now in the midst of this world, flawed and frail as it is. And I reckon that is something pretty great. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ becomes a home for us in the midst of a world that will not be until his return. Can we pray together? Our great God in heaven, 
father to the fatherless. Lord, we praise you that we have found a home in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our haven. In him we are both known fully and loved truly. Through his resurrection, we hold a hope that the world cannot touch or mar or strip away or take from us. God in heaven, teach our hearts, please, to long for that hope, to learn the patience to wait and in the midst of it all, to love the world, not in a way that fawns after it, but love it with the same love that Christ has shown us with the same love that we see in practice in Paul's life, that even as he's on trial, he seeks to share the hope of Christ with his accusers, with his judge. Father, thank you for the love that we know in Christ, for the haven that he is for us. He gave himself that we might know what it is for our God to be our home and our hope and our help. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.